0: Father, we again, we come before you and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your provision of your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you that you used your word to uh, bring forth the gospel, the truth of your son, and uh, to reveal our need of a Savior. And uh, Lord, thank you that uh, we had that preached to us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have your word and you use it uh, to grow us in respect to salvation. Praise we look in it today, you give us insight and wisdom that we might understand exactly what you intended, and we might respond as you desire. Bless this time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a world that is full of sinners. Uh, we are redeemed sinners through Jesus Christ, and there are those who are not redeemed. We live in a world that uh, has a hard time getting along with one another. Uh there's problems in uh nations between nations problems between governments problems within governments there's problems within cities states counties there's problems within families we have problems getting along we have problems getting along now with that in mind we know the reason why we have trouble James uh chapter uh 4 makes it clear that it's because of our desires that we have, we fight and quarrel. We want something and we don't get it, so we fight and quarrel. Man's uncontrolled desires uh, leads to conflict and difficulty and anger. When people don't get their way, they get angry. They get angry. And we as believers, we'll see, still are tempted to get angry when things don't go the way we think they should, whether good or bad. So how are we to live now that we've been raised with Christ? How are we to live in relationship to these uh, sins such as anger and wrath and the things that go with it? Well, we're going to see that today. We're going to see that we need to uh, stop living hypocritically if we're believers, and we need to put these things off like a dirty jacket in the context of trusting Christ. So you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 8 through 11. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. And just a real quick review. We know the apostle Paul is writing the Colossians. He has been informed by Epaphras of uh, these Colossians' faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. They're true believers. He's also been informed that there are threats to their faith. There are those trying to, chapter 2, delude them with persuasive arguments. There are those trying to take them spiritually captive. Uh, by substituting systems of sanctification rather than relying and trusting in Christ. We saw that. We saw in chapter 1 the apostle Paul was so thankful and that he prayed that they would be filled with the fullness of his will. And then he began to address the issues of these false teachers dead on. Uh, and what was his solution? What's his solution? We saw in the end of chapter 2 that the stuff that the false teachers were proposing are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Now, the world doesn't care about fleshly indulgence, but we as believers, we don't want to go that way. And so there are these people that will come along with false ways to deal with that. What's the Lord's way to do it? Paul shares Christ. It's a focus on Jesus Christ. Uh, through him we have redemption. Through him we have forgiveness of sins. And he is the one in whom this first creation was brought about. And he is the one in whom the new creation was brought about, the church, we see. And in him we are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a complete salvation. Uh, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, we shouldn't be taken captive. We shouldn't allow them to pull our hearts onto ways that appear spiritual and have appear to have religious value to follow Jesus Christ. And certainly in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that as we have received the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's by faith, we are to walk in him. We're not to uh, be those who... Um, we're not to be those who, who delight in religious experience. We're not to be those who, who delight in, in, uh, in uh, uh, experience, but also hold down the flesh through rules or whatever it might be. We're not to be those who focus on the shadows because of who Christ is. And we came to chapter 3, and we saw very clearly that uh, if we've been raised with Christ, that we're to keep seeking the things above, the things of the exalted Christ, we're to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And then lastly, we came upon the first uh, application, really, of seeking the things above, which is to put to death sexual sin. And today, we're going to have a continuation of that in terms of other sins that we are to just strip off, in a sense, to throw off of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, uh, again, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And this is where faith uh, meets the road, where the rubber meets the road, because every single one of us is tempted. We certainly may not be uh, indulging in sexual sin; which we're tempted to lust. But here, every single one of us is tempted to get angry. Every single one of us is tempted to get frustrated at circumstances, and we're tempted to react in ways that are not in in uh, in line with the way the Lord would have us respond. So then, having laid the foundation for our walk, uh, focus on the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, and focusing on him, we have our passage, Colossians 3, and uh, I'm going to read from verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices." and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Tremendous passage. You might remember we saw last week were to put to death sexual sin. Back in verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead, Right, And we saw what that was. We saw the therefore was connected to this wonderful portion in chapter 3 in the beginning. And I'll read it for you. 3 verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And then he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And we looked at that. He was using a a figure of speech to say, consider those things that carry out, those members that carry out. And he literally was saying, literally we saw it, put to death. Don't let it live. You'll probably have a note in your Bible. Put it to death. Put to death these things. these It's strong language. And we saw what they were. We saw the internal portion. We saw the external. We saw immorality uh, and impurity, certainly sexual sin. Those outward manifestations of a corrupt heart, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry or covetousness. We saw this was not calling for the severe treatment of the body, not to cut off your hands and your and your your eyes out or anything like that. It's not calling for what uh, those in chapter two, the false guys, would call for. It wasn't calling for a set of rules or following the shadows or following experience. It wasn't calling for that useless man-made religion. But it's calling for the death of everything in our lives contrary to godliness. You might remember we saw in Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans eight thirteen. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we put to death these sins? We saw, therefore, it's in connection to Christ who is our life. We are in Christ. We have a totally sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. He is sufficient And we have a complete salvation in Christ. So when we set our mind on the things above, we see them from his perspective. We know that we are united to him and his power by his spirit. We can put to death or do not let live. Those temptations come upon you. Kill it off. Don't let it live. Don't let sexual immorality live in your life. And believe me, there's a lot of believers that are letting it live in their lives. The internet makes that very easy these days don 't let it live, kill it off by the power of the Holy Spirit. Kill off those ties by the power of the Holy Spirit, put sexual sin to death, which amounts ultimately to idolatry and then we were given the strengthening of the argument. why verse six, for it is account of these things that the wrath of God will come god 's wrath is coming upon sin and sinners, those who reject Jesus because of these very sins that we are playing around with. We need to by his power put them. To Death And we also saw verse seven, and in them you also once walked when you were living, that 's the way we used to be it 's the way we used to be that 's the way the world is now. Just go on the internet, look on uh, YouTube and all those things that 's the way the world is. Go through the checkout line at the store it uh, 's the way it is. Look at a commercial don 't look at them, but look you see them on, on the Super Bowl. Our society is is sexualized it 's terrible that 's the way we used to live. But lay it aside, like, as we'll see, put it off, kill it off, separate yourself from those actions by the power of the Holy Spirit, by renewing your mind, focusing on Christ, allowing Him to live through you, His Word to change you. And so, having seen this, because we're raised in Christ, we're to put these things to death, no middle ground, uh, by the power of the Spirit, we're not to let them live, don't let them live. Then we come to, you might be saying, hey, I, I'm doing okay there. First list, uh, put to death. But, uh, well, buckle your seatbelts. The next one, you, if you, we're certainly going to see we're all tempted, as we really are with the first list, by the way, and our passage. We're going to see we are to put off or take off all of our ungodly, fleshly reactions. They're ugly, they're stinky, they're evil. Things, the way we react, the way mankind by nature reacts, but the way we are not to react Now, verse 8, our passage, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. He begins saying, but now. He's contrasting and bringing it into the present. And what's he contrasting? Verse 7, and in them you once also walked when you were living in them. You walked in those sins before you're saved, but now put them aside. Put him aside, he's gonna talk about that. This term put aside, apotithemy, speaks of putting off or getting rid of something by removing it. Taking it off, like taking off a garment. If I was to remove this jacket, I would take it off and set it aside from myself. Paul switches from the metaphor of killing sin and not letting it live to the metaphor of removing one's, uh, sin from oneself by ta- like taking off a dirty garment. He's going to reveal how we are to do that. You used to live in it. You used to live in anger. You used to live in wrath. You used to live in sexual sin. That's the way you lived. But now, if you've been raised with Christ, take it off and cast it from yourself. The action is of the will, and it's like removing a coat. Stop doing it and decide to remove the coat, and we'll see about that. Now, he's not saying to do it in your own strength, because this whole book is about Christ. This whole book is about focusing on Christ, allowing God's word to dwell richly. He's not saying step out in your own strength and tighten your bootstraps and stop sinning. It's in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So here it speaks of an action It's an aorist tense in Greek, moment in time. Put it off. You know, you could take your jacket off continually, habitually, but you're never taking it off, right? you got to take it off and complete the action. Put it aside. And this term, but now, carries a sense of urgency. And as we're going to see, these sins, they are ugly. They are evil. They are ungodly. And they are from the flesh. And if you picture a garment that's polluted with refuse, a a plumber who's been working down in the deep sewers and is full of that, he's not going to keep that on for dinner. It's stinky. It's it's terrible. He's going to take that clothing off. He's going to take it off. We see here, put it aside. You aren't who you used to be. So therefore, don't live that way. You've been delivered from the power and the eternal consequences of sin. You've been united with Christ's death to sin and his life to God, and rest in that union, trust the indwelling Christ to carry out your decision by faith to set it aside. You need to think through this. You need to think through the consequences of those sins, you need to think through what God sees in those, and we need to look at, it, as we'll see later on, when you put something off, you're something to put back on. We gotta renew our minds, as we'll see. Romans chapter eight, you can turn there actually. Turn to Romans chapter eight. Verse 10, you see, we tend to think, and we are, you know, when you when you commit sin, as Jesus said, you're a slave to sin. When we offer ourselves to sin, our members, Romans chapter 6, we're slaves to sin, and we feel that slavery, we feel those chains around us, right? But in reality, in Christ, we can say no to those things. Well, now, we're not going to be perfect. If we say we have no sin, we're lying. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Romans 8 verse 10. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His spirit, who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation, or excuse me, We are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here, we're to stop these things and take them off like a filthy garment. It's an example. Now, if you missed it, this is not a suggestion. This isn't God suggesting we do this. It's actually an imperative command. We're to be doing this. And it's God's will for us to do so. So in addition to these sexual sins in verses 5 through 7, what are we specifically to do? Notice the list. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Paul gives no leeway for a specific pet sin or sympathy for a specific temptation. He firmly commands these Colossians and us to put them all aside, all, every one. Do not let them live, cast them off like a filthy garment. And we'll see how to do that in a little bit. And notice he gives, I believe, two different groups of these sins. He gives the internal fleshly attitudes, anger, wrath, and malice, and then the external manifestations, slander, and abusive speech. So we're to lay off, kill off, first of all, what? Anger. We're all familiar with that, right? We live in an angry world. We've all been angry. Uh, people are angry. Don't get your food and time with the fast food to get angry. Someone cuts them off, they get angry. Who would get angry? Angry if things don't go their way. The term anger here is orge. It's from the Greek word. It, uh, we all know what that means, right? We know what anger is. And we know that it comes in the context of our desires that are unfulfilled. Uh, We want something, we don't get it, we get angry. We see that in James 3. It's a settled heart condition of anger, and we're to set it aside. Galatians 5.20, it's a deed of the flesh, it's not of the Spirit, God isn't doing that. There's no place in the believer's life for anger, even when it's justified. We'll talk about this. Even when we momentarily get angry at sin and injustice. By the way, and you will, if you see evil, you see wicked things happen, it can make you angry. That's not sin. But we can't handle it. In James chapter 1, the righteousness of, I'll read it, the the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We need to get rid of it. We need to give it over to the Lord. Let him take care of it before the sun goes down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that word anger there is not the word orgy. It's par or the alongside anger. If you're even irritated by nighttime from that which you were angry earlier, you are then going to give Satan a place and do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't go to bed angry or irritated. Let the Lord take care of it. If it's a righteous anger, if if it's unrighteous anger, then confess it. There's no room in the believer's life for anger in that context. We're not to let it... We're to put it off. We're to see in the context of God's Word and who God is, the circumstances that are angering us rightly. And we're to put it off and let Him deal with it and let, him, and trust Him with it and go to Him and rely on Him and renew our hearts and minds as we'll say. You see, when we're not renewing our hearts and minds and we see God wrongly, we're going to get angry. You remember Jonah? Jonah got angry because God was saving sinners that He hated. Jonah got angry because God was compassionate. And Jonah's anger led to depression and almost tried to commit suicide. Chapter 4 of Jonah, you can look at that. Unresolved anger leads to harm. It leads to hatred. It leads to um, murder, by the way. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, it's as good as you've murdered them in that context. Matthew chapter 5. So for believers, we should put it off. When someone says something we don't like, we got to see it rightly. We'll see later on. We should be forgiving if anyone has anything against anyone, we should put it aside. It doesn't mean we don't deal with things rightly in the body of Christ. doesn't mean we just let sin go. But love covers a multitude of sins. i got to let Christ take care of that. I'm in him, and I'm going to trust him. So as I'm tempted or if i have yielded, I confess it, and I tear it off like a garment, and I stop. Stop. <laughs> Are you struggling with anger? Stop the struggle. Kill it off like an old, dirty, rotten, stinky coat. Tear it off and throw it down by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say no to your flesh and say yes to the Lord. You can say no to that. You can consider yourselves dead to sin if you go to Christ. You, you have no power saying no on your own. But if you go to Christ, you'd be set free. The sun sets you free. You're free indeed. <coughs> you're to put it off. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. <coughs> Excuse me. let all been? I'll let you get there. You see, God's word should be renewing our minds and helping us understand that we got to throw this stuff off. It's wrong. We used to live in it, but now don't be that way. When you get angry at somebody, you got to give it over to the Lord. Confess it if it's wrong. If it's righteous, give it over to the Lord. <clears throat> Ephesians four thirty one. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor, anger and clamor, and slander be what put away from you. Thank you so much, Jim. Put away from you. Don't hold on to it. Don't live in it. You know what? That takes humility. You got to humble yourself. You got to give the Lord it over to the Lord. Because we hold on to anger because someone did something to us or didn't do something to us that we wanted to or whatever it might be. We get irritated and we gotta give it over to the Lord. He says here, and be kind to one another. Here's what we should do. Tender hearted, forgiving. Hey, they did something to you. Forgive them. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So then we're to take off anger like a dirty garment and throw it away. Throw it down. Get rid of it. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice the next one. It says wrath. This is anger's wicked stepsister. The term here is thumos. And it speaks of an outburst of anger or a fit of rage. It's also a deed of the flesh. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28, we see that after the Lord Jesus shared the scriptures in the synagogue in Nazareth concerning him being the fulfillment of those scriptures, that we see that the, all the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with thumos. They were filled with rage. And they got up and cast him out of the city, and they wanted to kill him and throw him over a cliff. But Jesus passed through their midst. Think about this. You could call it road rage or road wrath, right? People get cut off, and it's like, boom, angry right away. And guess what? We get tempted too, don't we? We're not. He wouldn't be telling us to put it off if it's something we couldn't get tempted to do and yield to it. Put it off. It's wrath. You're in Christ. Your flesh screams for an outlet. But Christ has set you free. Be thinking about him. Be trusting in him. Be relying on him. It doesn't fit who you are. Throw it off like a dirty coat. Forgive him. Let it go. Let it go. Again, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, amor, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Stop by the power of the Holy Spirit. Renew your mind who you are in Christ and who he is and allow him to deal with those circumstances or confess it if you're seeing it wrongly and allow his word to help you see it rightly so that you will not respond wrongly. What's the next one we're to put off here? What's the next one? Malice. Malice. The term malice, kakaia, speaks of uh, an evil disposition meant on doing harm. It obviously stems in the context of one's selfish desires. We understand it. When we don't get our way internally, we'll filled with desire to harm those we're tempted to be who, who thwarted our desires or pleasures. It's the internal fruit of anger and bitterness left unchecked. Remember Titus chapter 3, before we were saved, we were spending our life in malice. Little malice, big malice, it's how we used to live. But now we are in Christ and it doesn't fit us. Throw it off like a dirty garment, wicked, vile, stinky jacket. Throw it off. Put it off. Do not let it live. Choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to those temptations. You know, no temptations come upon you, that which is common to man. But God is faithful, not you, not people, but God is faithful to provide a way of escape that you might endure it. Renew your mind with God's truth concerning who you are and who He is, and His view of sin and the circumstances around you, and then allow His word to teach you how to respond, to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. You go back to, "Wow, you forgive me so much, Lord, I have no right to be angry at them. You renew your mind. And the Lord, you have a complete salvation. In him, we saw in chapter 2, you are complete. You don't need a system of rules. If you look up on the internet, anger management, the world's got all kinds of ways to deal with anger management. And it may subdue the external uh, things, but it's not going to take care of it. We need the Lord to take care of us. He's the only one who can help us manage it properly by confessing or not entering into it. The God who made you is very capable of delivering you from these sins if you will go to Him. He is faithful. He is faithful. You say, well, I don't do that. Well, we'll see. What's the next one? Slander. Here are some external manifestations. People are angry and upset or slander people. Slander, the term here, blasphemia, speaks of speaking against. It speaks in context of harmful, abusive speech against someone's reputation. It speaks of speaking injuriously towards someone. Man, we see this all day long on the news, right? Certain people, the people are just injuring them left and right with their slander, right? It can refer to defaming or dishonoring someone's reputation, insulting, speaking evil. It's wicked, slanderous speech that is attempted to injure insult or dishonor it's translated malign actually in in titus chapter 3 verse 2 and we're commanded to malign no one as believers right don't you dare slander one. don't you dare speak evil of anybody now i'm not saying we don't speak the truth there are times where we share the truth about certain things we might say this certain politician is doing what's wrong here i want to honor i don't agree with that it's wrong but i don't slander them by speaking evil of them in a way that's not true we speak the truth in the context of love. We're not to malign anyone. We're not to speak injuriously of anyone. Throw that off like a garment. Don't do it. Don't do it. You have the power to say no in Christ, to cast it off in Kim alone. See things by his perspective and his ways, and it will change the way you react. If you're focused on your Lord and you're focused on His larger will and understanding, then the things that happen, you're gonna see them differently. Set your mind to things above, not the things of earth. Notice the last one here. Abusive speech. It literally means filthy or obscene or dirty speech. Laid aside. You know, when you got saved, if you got, if you, if you've been saved as an adult, you know what that is. You, you, you know, I spent my, I, I had every other word was a bad word at times. You know, at work it's all like that. If you have if you have a job in the world right now, you're gonna hear it. Hear it the movie, well, you're gonna hear it. But we as believers, we've been changed. We shouldn't be speaking that way. It shouldn't be that way. Put it aside. Don't let it come from your mouth. We're to pull it off. Ephesians five four. Then there must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Gotta let God's word convict you. So then, we're to metaphorically, in a sense, take these sins off like a dirty, vile, stinky garment and throw it to the ground because it doesn't fit who we are. And it's not by some list or some human being's power, it's by the power of Christ in us. Now, we see here in these sins here, one last time, we're gonna read uh, Ephesians 4 again. Let all bitterness, 31, wrath, clamorous, anger, clamor, slander be put away if you want with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. A lot of these sins come from not forgiving, by the way. Now, if you're, if you're not capable of forgiving, you gotta examine yourself. The Lord shares this uh, to Peter in, in Matthew chapter 18. We should be forgiving. We need to let things go. The word forgiving is to let it go. It doesn't mean we're doormats and we allow sin to reign all over the place. No. It means love covers multitude. We let it go. Now there's certain times and certain places of scripture we have to deal with sin. We see that. It's not being let go. But for us, we're to put this stuff aside. These things come from a unforgiving heart. Titus chapter three. Let's turn her actually. Titus chapter three. Titus three. Now, this is going to be a, a statement to speak of how we're to behave with the government and also with one another. And it's a reminder. Titus 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Hey, we're to obey the government. We're to obey the rulers and authorities. Now that not if they cost you to sin, that's no, you don't. Not speak of Jesus, no, but if it's if we're to obey. It is God's servant. We see that in Romans chapter twelve. It is to punish evildoers. Okay? We're to submit and obey. And then we are to humbly pray. If we want our government to change, we pray about it. We see Tim, Paul telling Timothy that, uh, he doesn't desire anybody to be, to be, uh, t- to die in our sins. We see that. But we're to be praying for our leaders that we might be able to live a peaceful and quiet life. Which is good and acceptable. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for him. He says, uh to be, read, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, verse 2 of Titus 3, to malign no one. I read that earlier. To be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Boy, that would make uh, life easy for uh, the, the police officers in the millennium, right? <laughs> everyone's asking, everyone's treating everyone nicely. Well, that's the way we're to be, by the way. That's the way we're to be. He says here, for we... Also, once we're foolish ourselves, we were just like them. We were just like them, Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. We were like that, but we've been saved. Don't act that way. Don't act that way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. You can go down from our passage just a little bit. We're going to get to it, Lord willing, next time. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Tear off those sins like a dirty garment and replace them with the character of Christ. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. And then notice this. I can say, does anyone have a complaint with anyone? Well, the passage says here, whoever has a complaint against anyone... Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We're to put these things aside by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anger and all its evil relatives. Don't go there. Don't give in to it. Hopefully next time you're tempted to be angry or you fail, you'll be convicted and you'll confess and set it aside, trusting the Lord to help you deal with that circumstance his way rather than your way if you do that if you fail confess confess saw that earlier some angry situation happened and the people confessed and they hugged each other and forgave praise the lord confess present yourself to Christ put death sin to death put it and strip it off like a filthy garment now at this point as we continue Notice in verses 9 to 11, we're given a powerful motivation to obey these commands. To, to not live a life that is contrary to who we are in Christ. Indeed, we're going to see where to stop lying to one another or, or living a lie in contradiction to who we really are. And where to put it off. Verse 9, uh, Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. He begins with this statement, do not lie to one another. And we know in Scripture we're not to be lying. We know that in uh, Revelation chapter 21 that there are no liars are going to be in heaven. They're not going to be in the new, new, new heavens, new earth. No liars. We know that Satan is the father of lies and a murderer. But we, by and large, as believers, we're not living a consistent, ongoing life of lying. So, what's he talking about here? Some commentators say here that it's, he's just speaking of another list thing on the list: stop anger, this, this, and this, and lying. But as I look at this, is that the case? As I looked at the grammar of this, I think it weighs against that interpretation. You say, "What do I mean?" Well, first of all, the list of things that we just read in verse eight are all in the aorist tense. What does that mean? They're all, stop it right away, stop this thing, boom, 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 stop it, okay? Uh, Stop A, B, C, and D, put it off. And if he wanted to add lying, he could just stop lying. could just add it on the list. So why does he do this, inspired by the Spirit? You see, in verse 9, we have a new verb introduced in the present tense. Stop your continual habitual lying. Okay, that's interesting. You might even have in your notes, NASB, stop lying. Okay? Now, obviously, we're not to lie, but is that totally what he's saying here? I think he's introducing a new command based on what's going to come forth here. So what do I mean? Notice what he says. Literally, do not lie to one another or stop ongoing lying to one another. That's the body of Christ. Kind of interesting here. Do believers walk around lying to their brothers and sisters all the time? I don't know. I don't think outright they do. I think if they were, maybe they're not saved. So what's he talking about? You can literally say this, do not continue lying among one another. What does that mean? I believe he's saying when you do these things, especially in the midst of the body of Christ, figuratively speaking, you're living a lie. You're living a lie that's opposite of who you are to be. You have put us the old self and you put on the new. This is not who you are. And when you act this way and live this way, it is in total contradiction to who you really are. I think that's possibly what's being said here. So he's saying, stop it. Stop doing that. By the power of Christ, renew your mind. And as we'll see, stop these sins by taking them off like a jacket. Satan wants you to think, oh, you're bad. You can't get out of it. No way. It's, you can't do it. You can put it off in Christ, just like a jacket. So why would we put these things off? I think it's supported here. What I just mentioned I think is supported. Certainly we don't lie. We should stop that, absolutely. But I think it's supported by the context. Look at this. Do not lie to one another or stop lying to one another. Don't be hypocrites. Don't be something you're not. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I think the context makes it seem that that's what it is. Not for sure, but I think that's it. So now it's important to note this term, since you laid aside the old self, and verse 10, have put on the new self, they're both aorist participles. What does that mean? Completed action. It's happened. It's a done deal. That's what that means. That's what it means. If you've died with Christ, your old man is dead, and you've been laid aside, and you've been raised with Christ, you become a new creation, don't live a lie. It doesn't match who you are to be an angry, wrathful, bitter, slanderous person. It doesn't match. Throw it off like a garment when you're tempted. We're going to be tempted, by the way. So I'm not tempted. Well, guess what's coming? We're tempted. So here, positionally speaking, in Christ, our old man, now this, it says the old self here, but it's, it's the, it says old anthropos. It's the old man. It's a terminology Paul uses to help us understand something. You see, positionally speaking, when we, before we were saved, we were in Adam. Our old man was, uh, sinful and a sinner. And bound in sin, uh, we see that that, uh, brings about death, leads to death. But in Christ, grace reigns to eternal life. You see, our old man, when we believed in Jesus, was crucified with Christ. We have in position died to sin and we are now enraised in newness of life in Christ. That's the argument he's going to make. Romans chapter 6, and let's go there, or I'll read it for you if you. Romans chapter 6. And this is the argument he's making here. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Because wow, God's grace increased when sin increased. Should we just keep sinning up? May you never think that way. How shall we who died to sin, still live in it. Romans 6, 2, now verse 3. Or do you not know, do you not know something that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, placed into, identified with, have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Now, a, new, a, new, a new, he uses a new analogy here. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing, look at this, that our old man, old self, was crucified, or literally in Greek, co-crucified with him. That our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin, now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall live, also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You don't need a system to stop sinning. You need Jesus. You can say no to sin if you go to God. you got to go to him. you got to go to him. Paul would go so far as to say, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself from me. We saw in Colossians 1, 3, 1, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. It's all about who you are in Christ. Don't lie to one another. Stop lying to one another. In Christ, your old man has been crucified. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, or not doings, but praxis, that's the word. The things you did all the time. And have put on the new self. There's that old southern preacher said, be who you is, cause if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't, right? We're believers. We should walk that way, right? So this term old self is literally old man, and the term new self is literally new man. Actually, the word man is not there, it's just new. Because we were saved, because, excuse me, before we were saved, we were in Adam. And before sin, or excuse me, and because of sin, sin reigned in our lives unto death. We had no power over it, we were slaves to it, but when we trusted in Christ... His death to sin and his life to God was applied to us, and we were set free from sin, united to Christ, and now grace reigns to eternal life. i got to think of these things when I'm tempted to get angry. I don't have the power to stop, but in Christ I do. I can put on a heart of compassion as I trust Jesus to deal with those things, as I trust him and I renew my mind and believe he is who he says he is in terms of how he will act in my life if I trust him. So then for the believer, literally the old man with its evil practices has died. It has been laid aside. It has no more power over you unless you yield to it, okay? And the new has been put on. Wow, where we are, what Paul would say is new creations in Christ. Now I love this because this term laid aside the old stuff" isn't the same term used earlier about taking off a garment. It's a term in Greek that means to strip it off. When you were saved, your old man was stripped from you. Stripped from you. Praise the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Yet for every true believer listening right now, we have a dilemma, don't we? We're new creations in Christ, yet we still have this body of death. We still have temptation to do the exact same things we Our old man used to live in and function in. But we've been saved. The power of sin has been broken. We've been justified and now are being sanctified, set apart by his word through his spirit in the context of faith. And he is conforming us to the image of his son as our hearts are renewed. Notice this. We're going to see that. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self, which is, and notice this, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We've been clothed with a new man who is being renewed. Our text literally says, and having put on the new, done deal. Having put on the new. Now we'll see in Ephesians, that's a process we can also talk about it in the practical everyday aspect too. But this is the positional, it's been put on. You could translate this uh, the, and he says putting on the new, and then he says this par- simple phrase the one continually being renewed. That's you could translate it that way. The new is characterized by this phrase the one being continually renewed. I say hi, you're the one being continually renewed. You're the one being continually renewed. That's what God says. You are being continually renewed if you are in Christ and a new man. You're the one being continually renewed. Now this is great. Now you might know in Greek there are two different words for translated new in our English language. Neos speaks of new in relationship to time. Okay? And kinos speaks of new in respect to quality. The new man here in our passage is the neos man. Hey, you became a new man in relationship to time. You're brand new. That? And then in 2 Corinthians 5 we looked at it, we are kinos creations, new creations. New in quality. And what's interesting, this word renewed kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Comes from the word anakinos. Ana, meaning back again or again. Kinos, meaning new in reference to quality. We are being new in reference to quality over and over again. We're being renewed. Isn't that great? That is great. We are the ones being renewed. And notice this renewal is unto something on our passage unto a true knowledge, the term epinosis speaks of a fuller relational knowledge. In context, it's with Christ. I'm being renewed concerning His will and who He is. Continually, we are the ones whose minds are being renewed. We yield to the flesh; our minds are seeing things wrongly. They don't see Him rightly. We don't see our circumstances rightly. We get renewed. We see Him rightly. We see our circumstances rightly. We're being renewed to a true knowledge. Turn to Ephesians 4. This is the same uh, thought here. Now he's going to talk about the new self being put on in the, in, the, in the present tense. Remember I told you what our passage speaks about our position. It's already happened. But there's the practicality of doing it every day, which we're looking at also. Ephesians 4.20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old man. That's what it says which is being corrupted in the lust, according to the lust of deceit, that you be what? Anakinos, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. Be renewed. The new man's being renewed. What about Romans 12? We know this, right? And do not be conformed to this world. Now, it's in a passive voice. Don't let yourself be conformed by default. You don't do anything but be transformed, metamorphosized, that's transformed through the renewing of the mind that you might prove in your behavior what his will is, right? When God's word dwells richly in our minds, we're thinking of things above, we're being renewed. You get angry and you renew your heart and mind with what God says about anger. You renew your heart and mind about uh, the danger of giving Satan a place, how it's what we shouldn't do. You renew your mind about how we're to actually respond and forgiving and letting things go. You renew your mind, you're renewed. We're the ones being renewed, and it's in the context of a true knowledge of the Lord. It's a relationship with him. Then look at it. Something interesting here. It's according to something. End of verse 10. According to the image of the one who created him. This renewal is in accordance with the image that speaks of the the, the likeness of the one who created the new man. Who created the new man? God did. Christ did by bringing about our salvation. So we're being renewed in the image of the one who created us. That's really great. That's really great. This renewal is a true knowledge of Christ in his image. You know... We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him, who are called his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. When you're putting off the anger and you're putting on kindness, trusting Christ, you're being renewed, you're being conformed to the image of his son. You're being made more like Jesus. More like Jesus. It's not the way you are. It's not who you are. Don't live that way. Don't live a lie. Renew your heart and mind. And notice lastly, it's a renewal that doesn't come from man or is based on man's significance or not. Notice this. This is pretty important. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Now, you might notice in your verse 11, renewal is in italics there. It just means the actual word is not in the original language, but in the Greek, it's implied. So you can put it there, absolutely. Now, this term in which there is no distinction between is literally in Greek, where there exists no, where there exists. So this renewal is in a place where there exists no Greek or Jew or circumcised, or barbarian, Scythian, slave or free man, but crisis all in all. Greeks were the educated Gentiles. We know what a Jew is. Circumcised, uncircumcised, religiously religious. Barbarian, the word comes from the bar, word barbar. It spoke of an uneducated grunt in the sense of a, of a race. Uh, the Scythian was one who was worse than a barbarian. It doesn't matter who you are, slave or free. But more importantly, this renewal is not based on man or who you are but on Christ. You can't say, well, my past was so bad and I just can't do these things. No, it doesn't matter who you are and who you were. It matters about Christ. He's the one doing the renewal. He's doing the renewal. And Christ is all and in all. You don't need anybody other than Jesus Christ to be renewed. He uses his spirit by his word to change you when you trust in Him. And a side note, instead of making your struggles about you and your old man, oh, I struggle with the anger, bitterness, oh, blah, 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 I had a bad upbringing, you know, or this and that, they treated me bad. You're a new person. You're a new man in Christ. You're being renewed to a true knowledge, and it's Christ doing it. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about you. Therefore, when we struggle with these things, set your mind to things above. When we fail, confess, I'll forgive you. Don't live a lie since you in position, identity, and union have laid aside the old man and are continually being renewed, being a new creation, right? So then, we are commanded to lay aside the old ways of the old man like a filthy garment. Remember, Christ is our life. And it's only through him who we can do that. Now you can understand how Paul can say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So then, struggling with anger, struggling with bitterness, struggling with uh, wrath, so if these things, let all bitterness, all wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you and all malice. Do it today as Christ renews your heart and mind with his word and enables you to do what is right. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you're a believer, you're not the old man anymore. You're a new creation. In that new relationship with Christ, trust him and obey him, and he will set you free. The Lord has set you free. You are free indeed. May we not be angry people. May we confess when we fail. May we be those who trust you. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word, and we are helpless without you, but we thank you about the truth that you've revealed for those of us who are believers I pray for anyone here who's not saved. They know they can't get out of anger. They know they can't get out of it. They are bound, and there is punishment for it. Lord, I pray that they would turn to Jesus. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and they will be set free. And, Father, for those of us, uh, you wouldn't have commanded us to stop these things, to lay them aside unless we were tempted and very capable of doing them. And we have, Lord God, and we confess that, and we ask you to help us to see these sins rightly when we're tempted, to respond rightly, to abide in your Son, Jesus, to allow your word through him to renew our minds, that we would be changed, that we'd be conformed to the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.